Chapter 4 A Note of Warning It is to the praise of God that He has in His Word given us repeated instances of people who have fallen so that they might serve as a warning. Their very failure should be an inspiration to us to avoid similar mistakes. One cannot read the story of Adam and Eve without getting a glimpse both of the power of Satan in his overthrow of our first parents and the tenderness of God as he cried out in the cool of the day, Where are you? Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. We cannot study the life and character of Noah without being affected by the fact that someone might be used of God today, then tomorrow wander so far away from him as to make serious mistakes. All of the Old Testament is a cry for those who have wandered away from God to return. In their wanderings, we get our lessons, and in God's cry, we have certain evidence that although we may have sinned, yet He is always ready to put our sins away from Him and from us. One of the best illustrations in the Old Testament, to my mind, is that of Saul. He made a splendid appearance as a king. When the people demanded a king, God sent Samuel to seek one out, and he found Saul, whose appearance was kingly. If nothing else recommended him to the throne, this did. The first thing Samuel did was to pour the anointing oil upon his head, which was an indication that God was taking him for his own, thus separating him from the world. A little later we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and it looks as if he must have been filled with his presence and must have fulfilled the highest expectations of the people. A little farther on in his history, the man of God appeared to him, saying, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. As we look upon him, we have come to the conclusion that it is indeed true. When the people cry out for the king, and Saul is called forth, he stands head and shoulders above the people gathered around him, and involuntarily the people, when they looked upon him, were stirred to such enthusiasm that they shouted, Long live the king! 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 23-24 Afterward, when Saul went to Gibeah, the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26 Thus the story goes on, with Saul rising ever higher and higher in the popular esteem and favor. Yet in the end, and in the face of it all, he darkened the pages of the Old Testament made the ruling of his kingdom a failure, and died by his own hand, which really, in the sight of God, makes him a murderer. One cannot read such a story as this without trembling, and it is for each one of us today that the Bible was written so that we might know God and that we might know ourselves. I have learned from this story of Saul the king that it is possible for someone to be born of the Spirit really to be saved, and to be saved forever, yet miserably fail in the sight of God. I remember preaching in one of the cities of Indiana. For four days the church was crowded, but a crowd is not an indication of a blessing. Not infrequently the presence of a crowd is an indication of defeat, for preachers are inclined under such circumstances to put their confidence in people rather than in God. During all four days, 
Not a hand was lifted for prayer, nor a single indication given that there might be an awakening on the part of the Christian people. The field I was to labor in next seemed quite ready for the harvest, and in the preparatory services many people were saved. I called the ministers of the Indiana City together and asked them to give me the privilege of closing my engagement with them, telling them that there was some barrier in the way of the working of God's Spirit, and that I felt when I preached as if I was bound with chains. After a little conference, one of the ministers requested that the decision be withheld for a little while, stating that he felt sure that he knew where the difficulty was. We had one of the members of this minister's church as the leader of our force of personal workers. He was a man well known throughout his own state, and he was a judge of one of the highest courts. Somehow, though, it seemed that when this man passed through the audience, he sent a cold wave over the people. The pastor of this church left this conference of ministers and went into the office of this old judge and said to him, I have been hearing rumors on the streets for a long time that your life is not clean, and I have come to say that if these rumors are untrue, I desire to take some public stand with you to contradict them. But I have also come to say that if they are true, I will stand nearer to you than a brother and will help you get free from the power of your besetting sin. The old judge looked a moment at him, and then put his head on his arms on the desk and sobbed out, they are all true, and more. In a moment, they were on their knees in prayer, and it was only a moment more before the old judge rose as a delivered man, free from the power of his sin. I was just lifting my hands to pronounce the benediction at the close of an afternoon service when the church door opened and the old judge came in. Having lifted his hand to ask permission to speak, he made this statement, my friends, I have been known for years as one of the members of the church and as an officer of the church, but for a long time my life has been robbed of its power and my soul of its peace. I have lost my influence in my home, and I fear that I have almost completely lost my influence in my city. But I have gotten right with my minister and right with God, and I have come to ask your forgiveness." The confession was made with sobs. There was no benediction pronounced that afternoon. The people all filed out one way. Some took the hand of the judge to say, God bless you, and some came to say nothing but to pass by with burning hearts and cheeks wet with tears. When the evening service came and the sermon had been preached, there was a remarkable change. The atmosphere seemed like heaven, at least fifty people pressed their way to the front to accept Christ as their Savior. The first man to come was the old judge, with his arm around a poor lost man who was soon hopefully saved. In less than six days, more than five hundred people came pressing their way into the kingdom of God. It is likewise a possible thing to have been filled with the Spirit at one time and then to make a failure of one's life. It is not enough to live on the old experiences, no matter how precious they may have been. It is not enough to have been filled once, but we must be kept full all the time, and we can only be kept full by living in close fellowship and uninterrupted communion with the Lord Jesus Christ.
I wholeheartedly agree with F.B. Meyer's interpretation of the expression, I myself will not be disqualified, or a castaway. Certainly we know men today who were once used of God in preaching and blessed by Him in soul-winning, but who are set aside today. In other words, they have become castaways. They are objects of pity, both to angels and to men. Mr. Meyer, in describing these people, tells us of his stylographic pen. It was one of some value, and it had been given to him for his private use. For a long time he carried it with him everywhere, and used it on all occasions. Then a more improved version came out, and he used the new one instead of the old. The old one was still his, but it was disapproved and set aside. Mr. Meyer says he can imagine what the pen would say as it thought of the past. There was once a time when he used me always, and now, never. There was a time when I knew his thoughts before anyone else, and now I am set aside. There was a time when I was his closest companion, and now I am never used. Sadly, many men who have preached the gospel with power in days gone by whom God has delighted to use, could say the same thing. This book is sent forth as a warning, so that all such men might turn right around now. Let no man at the end take your crown. Why Saul Fell There were several reasons why Saul fell. In the first place, he was jealous of David. It awakened all the hatred in his soul to see David beloved and honored while these things had been denied to him. But that is not the end of his sin. It really seems as if jealousy must have been born in hell. If one has the seed of jealousy in his nature, he is somehow compelled by a force he can hardly resist to go deeper into the evil. In the second place, we find Saul destroying the Lord's truest friend. How true it is that when we have committed one sin and fail to make that one right, the rest becomes easy, and frequently almost a delight. In the third place, we find him sparing Agag and the part of his flock. He, the king, with lying upon his lips. The sin becomes very easy. If we allow the corruption of two or three days to lie in our souls without being cleansed, how sad the results. No one should close his eyes at night until he has absolutely made certain that all of the sins of the day have been washed away in the precious blood of Christ. The last we see of Saul is when he falls upon his sword and takes his own life, making him a murderer in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Sin is awful. In the very beginning of it, you seem to get the hiss of the serpent as he trails through the Garden of Eden. It breaks up homes and drags multitudes away from God and down to hell. The warning cry is given here that we must forsake the small sins if we do not want to be overpowered by the greater ones. We must be cleansed from little transgressions if we do not want to finally be lost. If anyone would ask the secret of failure, the reason why the crown would be lost in the end, the answer could be summed up in three letters. S. I. N.